0: Beginning of all human... Ooh, there it is. Now I'm on. Ooh, that's exciting. Is this not on? This thing's not on? That's very sad to me. Nope, I just flipped it from... I had it on earlier, and then I flipped it to off. That's what happened there. Silly me. Uh, wow, nothing takes you out of a sermon like text nafus. Transitions and... Sa- yeah, so, thinking about lamb sacrifice. At the beginning of all human history, right, we have... Abel, uh, the, the sacrifice that he makes. Abraham's test is in a period of transition. A transition of what? From sort of the generalized way that God had been relating to humanity to the choosing of a specific people, right? The people of, uh, that will eventually come from Abraham. And one of the par- key parts of Abraham's initiation into this covenant blessing people promise stuff is the sacrifice of his son that ultimately is replaced. And then, of course, the Passover, a period of transition from Israel as sort of this uh, people in slavery and they were just sort of Abraham's people, family all around the land and then they go to Egypt and there's the, the slavery stuff and what's going to transition? What's the beginning? The nation of Israel. They're going to have their, their own place, their own people. They're going to be God's special chosen nation and the Passover is the initiation of that, the beginning of that, the sacrifice of the Lamb in the Passover. And when we come to the Lamb of God, Jesus, the Lamb of God. It is another time of transition. It's a time of change. Now, when John calls Jesus the Lamb of God, they are probably not thinking of this, but when he says the Lamb, this is what they're thinking about, all the things that we've talked about. These are the kinds of things that when somebody calls somebody a Lamb, that would have been going through their heads. And yet there's no way they understood what John was referring to here. There's one more piece of Old Testament context. A very important prophecy we've not read yet in our study. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. One of the interesting things that we've talked about the lamb stuff and the lamb laws in the Old Testament was the lamb was not supposed to be like this. The lamb was without blemish. It was good. It was perfect, right? The lamb that would be offered as sacrifice would be a lamb that anybody would want in their flock because it was healthy and and had no defects and would have been good for all the purposes that lambs fulfilled in their society. So the the idea of the lamb without blemish, of course, the the one that nobody would reject, that was what made it a sacrifice. What? It was the thing that you wanted. The prophecy in Isaiah, he has no form or beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected. In some ways does not fit that mold. And yet, of course, we know the spiritual significance, the eternal significance of the Lamb. Not his human form, but his divine nature, right? That—that That is what makes him the perfect sacrifice. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, this is verse 7, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And we get into a little bit of this lamb imagery, right? Stricken for the transgression of the people. They made his grave with the wicked, with the rich man and his death. Although he had done no violence, then there was no deceit in his mouth. Here's the without blemish part. Not physically beautiful, but no flaw, no imperfection, no sin. Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt. These offerings that we read about, well it wasn't last week, it was a couple weeks ago. All the many offerings in the Old Testament, right? An offering to the Lord. He shall see his offering, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many accounted to be righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. The sacrificial system, the core of Israelite religion. Day after day after day after day, right? We looked at that. A a lamb in the morning and a lamb at twilight every day. Not to mention all the lambs for personal sacrifices. That was just the general sacrifice. Everyone participated in some way. Either providing the sacrifice and the killing of it and the burning of it. Everyone's participating. And at the center of it, this innocent creature. Unaware as it is, the language of lead to the slaughter... It's just sort of going along. It doesn't know any better. It's a a dumb lamb. My dad always likes to talk about. He grew up in New Zealand. The stupidity of sheep. So dumb as creatures. This lamb that doesn't know what's happening, doesn't fight, just goes along with it. Probably didn't fight back until the very end. It's just like, oh, we're going to the temple today. Hooray for us. Doesn't know what's to befall it. Of course, the imagery of that contrasted with the very deliberate, intentional sacrifice of Jesus, Right? Nobody takes it from me, but I lay it down, he says. He knows what he's doing. And yet he still has the same attitude as that lamb. Silently going to the slaughter. And it might look from the outside. He doesn't know what's going on, but he does. He does know what's going on and he's choosing to do it anyway. One who would follow in the pattern of a lamb, but because of his personhood and his deity, His participation, of course, meant so much more. So John probably has this prophecy in mind, I think. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. Of course, we know John is the one who prepares the way of the Lord, right? The voice crying in the wilderness. I think he might have this prophecy in mind when he proclaims the things that we've read. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's Isaiah 53. The Lamb that is led to slaughter for the transgressions of my people. This is he of whom I said, after me comes one who ranks before me. Because he was before me. We see again the switch, the transition, the change, the power. A lamb ultimately inferior in every way to a person. And yet what is John saying about this lamb? He's not inferior, he's superior to me. He's my better. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. The next day again, verse 31, John was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Twice he gives this proclamation. The two disciples heard him and they followed Jesus. The appropriate response, the right response. This is the guy. Why am I with John? John's a yahoo. I could go be with the Lamb, right? The the main guy. Jesus turned and saw them following and said, "What, What are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher. They're seeking a teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them come and you will see. The simple invitation to come to Jesus the Lamb of God and again I I cannot stress this enough when John calls Jesus the Lamb of God I just don't think they had any idea what that would mean in the eternal significance of it the sacrifice that Jesus would make and and it's so interesting to me they're so confused throughout his ministry he says I'm gonna die Peter's like, no, that's ridiculous. He says, I'm going to die. And they ask, what do you mean by that? They're so confused about his death and sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God. That was what lambs were for. The whole point of lambs in Israel, not the whole point, I guess they ate them and they, they became sheep and they used them for wool, I guess. But the main point of lambs in Israel was to die. How did they not get it? Because we, like sheep, are dumb right? We as people are ignorant. Each of them would have been intimately familiar with the process, right? They all would have participated in this at some point. So what did they think John meant? The Lamb of God. Maybe they didn't think about it. Maybe, maybe only a couple of people ever heard that proclamation and the rest of them didn't know. Maybe they didn't hear it. There was only one way in which a lamb could take away sins. When John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, there's only one way that's happening. Based on everything we know about the Old Testament, that lamb is going to die. The sacrificial death was always part of the plan, not just from the beginning of Jesus' life, but the beginning of time. That's what John says, right? He is better than me because he was before me. He is the eternal lamb. Now, the image of Christ the lamb, then, as we go through the rest of the New Testament, carries some tangible application, some things that should go along with that in application of our lives. First Peter 1.17 if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, if you do that, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. The futile ways of what? All the stuff we've been talking about. The sacrifices day after day after day that ultimately did not clean them. They still rebelled. They still rejected God. All the things that happened in the Israelite nation. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but you were, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb... ...without blemish or spot. Why should the Lamb imagery... He begins this with fear. Conduct yourselves with fear. Why? Because you were ransomed by the blood of the Lamb. Why should that lead to fear? Might I suggest that one of the main stories of the Lamb in the Bible... ...is a story that is based in fear. That is the Passover. What's going on in the Passover? You guys kill a lamb, put the blood around the door, you go inside, you do what I say, because if you don't, then what? Your firstborns are going to die. The angel of death is going to pass through. And if he does not see that you have obeyed what I have told you to do, he will not pass over your house. He will go in and he will kill your firstborn. That is a story ultimately based in fear. That's why Israel was let go by the Egyptians, right? Why the Egyptians are like, they're getting them up in the middle of the night. This great cry that comes out of Egypt. They're afraid of Israel. We got to get these people out of here before more of us die. So when Peter says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Why? Because if God was willing to do that with a lamb, just a regular lame-o-lamb... How's it going to be with the blood of the Lamb? What consequence are we trying to avoid through the blood of the Lamb? It's not physical death, it's eternal spiritual death. Separation from God forever. So you better conduct yourselves with fear Throughout the time of your exile. The time of your exile being what? The time that we're on earth. Now Peter of course writing to uh, Jews that were scattered throughout the region. But I think the more general application for us as exiles on earth looking to go home. We can only avoid the consequence if what? If we do what the lamb requires. In the context of the Passover was the way they ate it. What they did with the blood. When they killed it. All these requirements in the Passover. And if you didn't do any of them then... The, lamb, or the angel would not pass over you. In our situation, what is it? If we want to share in the precious blood of Christ, we have to do what is required. The things that go along with that sacrifice. All the obedience that's required, just like in the Passover. 1 Corinthians 5, 6-8. One of the things that we briefly touched on in our, our study of the Passover was the idea of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And they were intrinsically paired all throughout Israelite history, right? The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know... That a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Again, evoking this imagery that not only did they have the Passover and the sacrifice and all the things that went along with that, but this feast of unleavened bread. You get rid of all the leaven in your house. You're only going to eat unleavened bread for seven days. Now, in the first story, in the original story of the Passover, we studied why that was, because they needed to be ready to go in haste. They needed bread that could be quick and could be taken on the road and we could prepare it quickly, right? This idea of being on the road right after that. For us, let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Again, we think about this importance of the unleavened bread rather than literal leaven. What is he talking about here? Now, you could make the connection to the unleavened bread of the Lord's Supper. I don't think that's particularly what he's going for, although it is an interesting connection. Rather, in the context of 1 Corinthians 5, it's what? It's sin. Sin in our midst. Get rid of all that sin. Get rid of it. Don't have it in your house. Don't have it in in your house, the idea in the Passover. In the house for us is in the assembly, in the congregation, in the group. The guy had been having a bad relationship and they were all okay with it. Nobody was doing anything about it. Paul says, get this guy out of here. Purge the evil person from among you. Why? Because the sacrifice has happened. The Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Jesus has been sacrificed. And along with the betterness of the sacrifice, a regular lamb versus Jesus, the eternal lamb, there's also a transition of leaven. Not regular old leaven that makes bread rise, but the leaven of what? Malice and evil. The things in our lives that we should really be getting rid of because of the sacrifice of Jesus, but we hold on to, we hold on to those things. And of course he says this later on in the context, what happens if we hold on to them? It spreads. It gets worse. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. If we are unwilling to purge sin from our lives individually and from our group as a whole, we forsake part of the purpose of the sacrifice. To make things new. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the uh, holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened through the curtain, that is, through the flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Again, we think about the lamb sacrifices. We could go in a lot of hebrews we're not going to read a ton of hebrews but man if you just want to read something that really emphasizes all this just read hebrews like you could read the whole book if you were ambitious say like 8 through 11 hebrews 8 through well 8 through 10 11 is the faith chapter hebrews 8 through 10 where he talks a lot about the sacrifice of jesus trumping the sacrifices of the old system here what's the point the sacrifice of jesus the blood of the lamb When you think about all those sacrifices in the Old Testament, those lamb sacrifices, you bring the lamb to the temple, you kill it, but only the priests, they're the only ones that get to go in and deal with the sacrifice, right? You, You brought it, you killed it. They take the stuff, they burn it on the altar. And you don't get to be involved in that. You don't get to approach God. The priests get to approach God. They get to take the thing you've offered and take it into the holy place. What's he saying here, though? Now we, because of the sacrifice of our lamb... We get to draw near. We get to approach. We get to enter into that holy place, the curtain that separated, right, the holy from the holiest of holies that has been opened by the blood of our Lamb. Now we, instead of being bystanders in the process, instead of being separated from the temple, we get to go in and be in God's presence. I would submit that we are there right now. Have you thought about that? Right now, we are in the Holy of Holies. In his presence. Well, we just, well, we didn't do it because nobody needed it, but we did it this morning. This communion that we are sharing in. Entering in through the new and living way that he opened by his blood. Approaching him fully. And we do that with full assurance of hope, right? Full assurance of faith. We know. That God will pass over us, not in this life of death, but pass over us in eternity. The judgment that is to come. And so what? Let us consider to, uh, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near, encouraging one another to what? To stay faithful, to do good, to stay in the sh- full assurance of faith, to approach through the curtain as we are today tonight doing this very thing I hope but maybe we're gonna do that more throughout the week approaching him in confidence every time we pray every time we worship every time we spend time with other Christians we're participating not in the Lord's Supper but in all of the the different ways that we approach him in the temple the message of the Lamb invites us into the covenant relationship with our creator into this perfect union with him. And again the separation in the old, all throughout the Old Testament, the separation, the sacrifice over and over and over and over. Only certain people got to go in. Now we enter into this perfect covenant relationship with our creator because of the lamb. The lamb that was sacrificed that, what did John say? Takes away the sins of the world. Acts 8, verse 27. This will be our last story for tonight. Acts 8, verse 27. This is, of course, Philip. We've had the story with uh, Simon the Magician. And he's been in Samaria. Now he's going into the next thing. He arose and went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. What? prophecy was he reading? The very one that we just read. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? How would you feel if somebody just came up to you and was like, do you get it? (laughs) You know, he's reading out loud, obviously. How would you feel if somebody just showed up do you understand what you're reading? It's kind of a, maybe an insulting question if you have the wrong attitude. Of course, I love the Ethiopian's attitude, right? The eunuch's attitude. He doesn't. He doesn't understand. Hey, can you teach me? How can I, unless someone guides me? Invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The message of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep led to slaughter. Like a lamb before its cheer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. That doesn't exactly fit. Almost certainly reading from the Septuagint, the Greek rendition of the Old Testament. The eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. We'll come back to the rest in just a minute. This scripture, not a bad place to start the gospel message. Because his job, his function as the lamb was central to Jesus' ministry. Central to his whole reason for coming to earth. His whole reason, again, like Israel. The centrality of lambs in their society was to die for the sins of the people. Jesus came in very real terms. To be the lamb. To go to death. To be slaughtered. And in some ways that is the very essence of the gospel message, right? That your creator became like a dumb little sheep. But he wasn't dumb. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he did it. Why? He did it because he loves you. He did it for you. Now, I don't know exactly what Philip went on to say, but I imagine it was something very much like that. Isaiah's talking about Jesus who came and he died. He died, why? To take away your sins. To take away my sins. And maybe he explains more about who Jesus was. He explains more about Jesus' ministry in his life. But pretty good place to start the explanation of the gospel, right? I think I already said this. Yeah, I just said all this stuff. And so we come to the end of the passage. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and Eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being, I don't like the word baptized. If you're new here, you know that, immersed. What prevents me from being immersed? And the answer, of course, some versions have, some translations include, a verse that is uh, a little bit iffy in the original language. Uh, If you believe with all your heart, you may. Even if it's not there in the text, it's inherent in the process, right? If you believe that Jesus was the lamb, if you accept the reality that your creator died for you, if you accept that that carries with it some responsibility, the responsibility to fear God, the responsibility to purge your old life, that's the cleansing of the leaven, right? What is that? Repentance, isn't it? To get rid of the old leaven, the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the Old Testament being translated into the New Covenant way of thinking that we're getting rid of all the old stuff, the evil, the the leaven of malice and envy. That's repentance. We're going to confess that we believe these things and be immersed, united with Him in His death, as Paul would say in Romans. The Lamb is at the center of God's invitation to us. The invitation that I make tonight, I make usually most every Sunday. Right, a very simple invitation to benefit from the Lamb's sacrifice. He died one way or the other. If you choose to participate, then you get to have the benefit. If you don't choose to participate, it doesn't mean he didn't do it, it just means somebody else is going to benefit. And one of the things about the infinite grace of God, the infinite love of God, I, I can't remember who I was talking to about this, the nature of infinite things is that they are, as they are divided up among more people, it's not like they're getting less, right? The infinite love of God does not get less the more people there are, it's just more. More people get to experience the infinite nature of it. So as we offer the invitation, it is a simple invitation. To accept the Lamb's Lordship. Next week, we're going to finish this series with the victorious Lamb in Revelation. A picture of a Lamb very different. And yet, the same. The conquering Lamb. The victorious Lamb who has indeed taken away the sins of the world. Our sins. Hopefully, tonight, you're here. You're ready to have those sins taken away? See, here is water. What prevents you from being immersed? Only you. Only you prevent yourself from joining in his sacrifice. Come while we stand and sing.